Perhaps at the end of a, a Christian book or a paper or an essay, you came across the letters S-D-G. Maybe you wondered what those letters stand for. Maybe it, it, it puts in English right below it what those letters stand for. They really are a Latin phrase, soli deo gloria, which is to God alone be the glory. And again, as I mentioned, you'll sometimes see it at the end of a writing, a book, an essay. Even Christian composers, some Lutheran composers like Bach and, and Handel at the end of their compositions would include those letters SDG, which is simply a way of acknowledging that, that it is God who has given us every ability, uh, every skill, every talent that we have to achieve anything, whether of excellence or mediocrity. It all comes from God and those letters recognize and acknowledge that God is the one who deserves the glory. Well, now, as we, as we consider God's calling, our vocation to, to give God glory this morning, today we, we want to keep in mind, we want to understand, first of all, what it means even to give God glory. We sing the phrase, glorify God or give God glory in our hymns and our songs. We see the phrase over and over again in Scripture, in the Word of God, but it also might be one of those terms or phrases that rolls off our lips without really any connection in our head or hearts, and it's just another religious or theological term that we spout off without really giving thought to it. So what does it mean when we are called to give God glory, to glorify Him? Well, we'll, we'll talk about that, but, but first things first, we want to acknowledge something about God's glory. God's glory is not something that needs to be given to him. See, God is glorious in his own right, not because we ascribe to him or give to him glory. The Psalms make that clear, especially Psalm 19, verse 1, where the psalmist writes, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And you might recall, not just creation, but, but in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is just born and the man named Simeon holds him in his hands. You hear what, what Simeon declares. He says that this Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That Jesus himself is God's glory. So no, God doesn't need our glory. Creation itself in all its marvel demonstrates and displays God's glory. And in the one who is the heart and soul of Scripture, Jesus, the one who was promised and came and delivered to make good on our salvation, he is God's glory. So just as we cannot give to the sun its heat or its light because those things emanate from the sun, the sun is their source, so also God doesn't need our glory. Glory emanates from him. So then if it already belongs to him, if it is already God's, well then, then why do we need to give it to him? And that's an important question for us to address. Rather than just spending an entire message or sermon on the what of giving glory to God or how do we do it practically speaking, understanding why we give God glory really makes all the difference. Otherwise, simply knowing how to do it runs the risk of kind of turning into that kitchen gadget that gets shoved at the back of the drawer or hidden behind some, everything else in a cabinet. We had to have it at one time, but once we forget why it was so important and what its use is for, why we got it, then it goes unused. 
So it is with God's glory. It's only when we know the why uh, of what its significant uh, reasons to glorify God that are going to prompt us then to continue actually giving him that glory, to embracing our call to glorify God. And scripture, the Bible gives no less than three reasons, no fewer than three reasons to, to glorify God. One of them is simply this, that, that God alone deserves to be glorified, to be held up above everything else. That is, there is no one else who compares to him. So the first reason is really that God is the goat. Have you heard that, that term before, the goat, the greatest of all time? In fact, not too long ago, it was this last week, I believe, or the week prior, uh, I saw a, a video clip of Simone Bilas, who's been in the news uh, as, if not the greatest, one of the greatest gymnasts of all time. And they panned in this shot I saw on her gymnastics uniform. And as you look at the, the glitter, the sequins, you see the shape of a goat. Now, I suppose it's not arrogance. It's not cocky if you can back it up as she can. So she's saying she's the greatest gymnast of all time. And, and that kind of discussion is going to be ongoing for as long as people are around and as long as there's debate over who's the greatest of all time when it comes to their field for this celebrity in that movie or that athlete or this superstar. But there isn't going to be a discussion about who actually, out of everybody, is the GOAT. Because there is no one greater than God. God is the greatest of all time. And when we glorify him, we are reminding ourselves of that. And it's our way of showing how much he is worth to us and how much value we ascribe to him when we glorify him. Which is also done as we remember our own place in humility. Something that John the Baptist was marked for, was noted for in scripture. John the Baptist is recorded as saying in his gospel, John chapter 3, verse 30, or it's not John the Baptist's gospel, but, but John the disciple recorded about the Baptist saying, he must become greater, I must become less. Or the newer translation, he must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist, as recorded by, by the gospel writer here, demonstrates that he knew that he was only the forerunner. He was the one shining the spotlight on Jesus, that, that God is the greatest of all time. We have another way of reflecting this today. You've seen the decals. Maybe you weren't even sure of what they meant. On the back of a car, uh, the word he, and then the greater sign next to a little I, which is a Christian's way of saying that he is greater than I am. So in humility, we recognize our place but we're also acknowledging when we glorify God that he is the goat, the greatest of all time. That's one reason. Another reason then flows from that. When we recognize that God is the greatest of all time, we also receive benefit when we glorify God in that way. And you note it as you paid attention to the words from our second lesson today from Colossians because they, it's like connecting the dots to the way that we glorify God you see it again in each verse, actually, 15, verse 16, verse 17, some word or phrase that reflects gratitude, thankfulness, being thankful. It goes part in parcel, hand in hand, 
with giving glory to God. Now, which one comes first? It's kind of a, a, a moot point because it's a cycle. They feed off of each other. When I glorify God, I am filled with gratitude. And the more I am filled with gratitude for who God is and how great he is, the more I want to glorify him. And it becomes this spiritually healthy cycle. I'm thankful, so I glorify God. And as I glorify God, I become filled with more gratitude and thanks. What emotions do you find yourself wrestling with? Do you struggle with anxiety, being overwhelmed? Are you weighed down with worry? Is anger something that plagues you, short bursts of, of rage that spring up seemingly out of nowhere? Well, as we consider this second reason for giving God glory, do you think that, that there's some blessing, some benefit to having an attitude of gratitude, to be thankful? Because it's really difficult, if not impossible, for things like anxiety and worry and rage or anger to dwell in us when we are also at the same time filled with thankfulness and gratitude. So the more we fill up ourselves with, with this healthy emotion of gratitude and thanks, we don't have room to hang on to or to harbor those other unhealthy emotions. So glorifying God isn't just good for, for him as we hold him up to that rightful place, but it's also good for us as it fills us with gratitude. And it doesn't even just benefit us. We glorify God for another reason, and it's for the benefit of other people. Now, you and I, by God's grace, have had our eyes opened in faith to see God's glory. But elsewhere, Paul reminds us that not everybody is able to see that glory of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul writes, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They cannot see that glory of God in their unbelief. And you've maybe experienced that frustration as a Christian. It's kind of like when you are out in nature, Maybe you see something off in the distance, maybe through, uh, through your binoculars, or you're looking up at the sky at night through a telescope, and you see something magnificent, something splendid, and you want to show it to the person right next to you, and you try to point it out to them, either with your fingers or by giving directions, and they can't see it, and then finally the moment passes them by. Isn't that how we sometimes feel as, as Christians who know and who have seen the glory of God in Christ Jesus, and we want others to see it, we need to be mindful and remember that in their unbelief, they can't see the glory of God. Sin has blurred that from them. So what is, is God's solution? Obviously, he wants everybody to see his glory, so how does he plan to solve that problem? Through you. God wants you to be the source of of ultimately leading others to see his glory. Jesus said it in our gospel today. What is the difference uh, of being salt and light in the world? He, he draws all that to a close. There is a purpose, a high and mighty purpose, so that as others see your light and salt, your good deeds, they might glorify God, which is another way of say, saying that they come to faith in him, that the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to see what they couldn't otherwise see. And Peter really, really echoes exactly the words of Jesus. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he writes, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's another way of saying, just as Jesus did, that, that through your good deeds, as you glorify God, he can use that to bring others to faith. Now, that's not to say that, that somehow God has sidestepped or skirted around his word. He always, he only brings people to faith and opens their eyes to see his glory through the word. But it does acknowledge that a part of that plan on God's design is to use you to draw people to that word. God uses people. He uses relationships. And through the good deeds, the way that we glorify him in our lives, to draw people to him through his word. So we glorify God because as we do so, he is able to make believers out of unbelievers. Now, we don't always like to, to count numbers. And, and there's a, a, a certainly a caution. There is a, a risk that an unhealthy focus on attendance or, or numbers at the end of the day can, can lead us to forget why we're here and focus on the wrong things. But here's the truth, too. God is a numbers guy. God cares about numbers. Do you know how many people the Lord wants to see in heaven with him for eternity when he returns on that last day to make all things new and, and to restore the world for us to live in the way he always designed it to be? Do you know how many he's interested? More. Always more. In fact, each day that this world passes that Jesus hasn't returned, we can conclude that he is simply longing for, waiting for more to be added to his kingdom. And he does that through you. So there is your why. This is why we glorify God, because he is the greatest of all time and he deserves it. He deserves to be held up to that place. And, and because it also fills us with gratitude to do so and, and keeps us in a good place being thankful and mindful, which is natural when we think of how good and how great God is. And then finally, we do it because it serves others. Because God uses the way that we glorify him to make believers out of unbelievers. Well, now that we know the, the why, let's put some gas in the tank, some fuel to, to motivate us, to move us, to carry out this life of sanctification, this calling to glorify God. And you notice that in the words from Colossians today, Paul also points out exactly what is going to prompt us to give glory to God. Listen again to those words from Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 and up through 17. He writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Just as you see gratitude and thanks repeated, that isn't the only theme that Paul covers in this section. He also talks about this all-important matter, all matter of peace. Peace, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Peace, which is yours right now. 
and a peace that, that reminds us of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. Let me just ask you, would you say that that peace characterizes your life? That your days are filled with peace? Or are they marked by something else? Busyness, guilt, tirelessness, restlessness, inadequacy, and the list goes on and on and on. And and if your days are filled with those things rather than the peace that God gives to us through Jesus, well, why is that? Is it because you don't know about that peace? I think Paul kind of addresses what might be one reason that we are are robbed of that peace. He says to let the message, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 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 So don't be surprised when we rob ourselves of that peace if God's word is merely an afterthought. Or if God's word is always something I'll get to later. We're only robbing ourselves of the peace that is already ours in Christ Jesus. You know that, don't you? You know that he's already done everything for you. You know there's no work left to be done. You know that he was already crucified for your sins and rose victoriously to declare it. You know that you are at peace from God and your sins no longer separate. And then the icing on the cake is that he also is the one who perfectly glorified the Father in your place. That means there is, there is nothing left for you to do as far as your relationship with God. That has already been established. So God has set you free through the peace that you have in Christ Jesus to live in joy all of the days of your life. You have nothing to fear. You are at peace. And now in that joy, in that peace, Gratitude naturally flows from it, and in gratitude, we are driven to give glory to God. Now, practically speaking, what does that look like? Now, the, finally, the what. What does it look like to glorify God? Because if we're talking about holding up God to the greatest of all time and, and, and the rightful place that only he deserves, the, the, the praise and the honor and the glory that is only his, surely we must be talking about big, amazing things like mission trips overseas and huge charitable gifts and volunteering our times and serving in councils and committees and and being active in our church. These are the ways that we, we must glorify God, the most meaningful ones, right? Is this how we glorify God? Sure it is. But by no means is it the only way that we give glory to God. In fact, sometimes I think we too easily forget that we can glorify God in all of the little things. The things that we easily overlook, that are an afterthought, that we don't think twice about. Each and everything that you do over the course of any day of your life can be a way to bring glory to God. That's really what Paul was getting at in the last part of verse 17. When he said, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Anything that you do can be an act that glorifies God. Why? It doesn't matter if it's big or small, you see, because God does not care about scale. He cares about the spirit by which something is carried out. It doesn't have to be big in the eyes of the the world or our own eyes. 
God is more concerned about where is that act, where is that deed, that thought, that word, where is it coming from? A spirit that recognizes that I have my, my life, my health, my being, my existence, my redemption, my salvation, my forgiveness in and through Christ Jesus. And when I know that, that means that I can carry out everything every day of my life to God's glory. So yes, I can take out the trash to God's glory. I can wash the dishes to God's glory. I can work hard at my place of employment and serve my, my coworker who's behind on his project to God's glory. I can go on a date to God's glory. I can post on Facebook to God's glory. I can change a dirty diaper to God's glory. I can do all things to God's glory because he has set me free to do that without any fear or any coercion. God doesn't care just about the big things in our minds. He is absolutely just as delighted, and I would say more so sometimes through the consistent little things that are so easily overlooked or passed off to somebody else. When we carry those out, God is thrilled because he is glorified in them when they're done through a heart of faith. So dear friends, you know the why. We know why we give God glory. He is the greatest of all time. God is the goat. We give God glory because we are filled with gratitude and thanks in the process. And we give God glory because it serves others, allowing God to make believers out of unbelievers. And we have everything that we need to prompt us and drive us to give him glory when we know the peace that is ours in Christ Jesus. So dear friends, go out, fulfill your calling. Go out and live an SDG life. Give God alone all the glory. Amen.